0: Well, good morning to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors, and it is good to be with you today as we jump into a new series, as you've already heard about, uh, with the book of Exodus. And we get to explore what that really means. Uh, But I want to first, before I jump into that, we're going to jump in really fast, really hard. Um, I am, if you know me at all, I'm covering an entire chapter of the Bible today. So that's like, okay, crazy. Um, so get ready. We're going to run really fast, but I'm excited to see what God is going to do in this series. But I want to first say thank you. I want to say thank you because if you uh, don't remember, we've been in this thing called a, uh, a COVID pandemic the last year. And uh, things are, they're not, they're not back to where uh, they, they, they should end up. But at the same time, I want to say thank you because the way that you have responded and the way that... Um, even those, when I get an email or whatever about, hey, you, you handle yourself so well, and you do it respectfully, and you are modeling what it is to, to live in the tension um, of something that's very hard for a lot of people because it's hard for everybody, and even your, your response here in this place, I want to say thank you for the way that you've handled it and for what it's meant for us as a staff because even you, what you don't know is the way that you've handled it has given us greater courage to make some really hard decisions that we believe are godly. And um, I can't thank you enough. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It is such a joy. I've met, I've met in the last two weeks um, well over. I've met with over 30 different lead pastors in different settings. And in doing such, I am so grateful to be church with you. Um, I, I'm just so, so grateful. So I just want to say thank you for that. Book of Exodus. You ready? Get ready. Come on. Get a pen. Get a Bible. Get your notes. Um, The reason the message notes are blank is because I really don't know how far I'm going to get. So good luck to all of us. Um, But get ready um, because we get to jump in to, I think, one of the most important books of the Bible. Uh, You have the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and we're going to be able to look at the book of Exodus today. Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible Uh, Some of you may know, broadly speaking, what this is really about. Some of you may know details. Some may not know anything at all. Either way, it's okay. I will tell you that this is not a 100-foot view of everything where we're jumping in word for word, but it's not a 30,000 view either. It's probably about 5,300 feet. Um, And so there's going to be a lot of diving in here, um, and it's just going to be fun, and it's going to be either about a 12-week series or about a 12-year series. I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go, trusting God to work. Uh, In general, though, what you have is um, a desire from me to make sure you understand not just the details, but the movement of God here. And I have certain expectations as a father. If you're new, I have four kids, and one of mine, he's got a couple more years. He's out of the house because um, he 'll be out of high school, and my house, that means my house is no longer an option at that point. Get out. Amen. Anybody? I even got clapping that's awesome. Um, and so there are certain standards and expectations I have for my kids. This series really was built off of a conversation I had with my then 11 year old who I said, "Hey, do you really understand? what was happening with the Hebrews, the Israelites, and the people of God with Exodus. And I gave, them a, I gave her a summary. and She's like, that's the best I've ever understood it. I was like, that's why I'm a pastor. I felt good in that moment. And I said, you know what? Everybody needs to understand it at this level. So I expect everything you're hearing, I expect my kids, when they leave my house, to have everything that you're going to learn in the next 12 weeks understood and processed. That's not because I am a pastor. That's because I love the Lord, and I want my kids to walk with him. Um, And so that's where I'm coming from on this series and trying to really examine uh, why aren't we learning better from those who have gone before, (laughs) and what do we really grasp of what all of that means for us. Um, You're going to learn very quickly about people who, Some were running to what God had called them to. Some were running from something. So there's a difference in running from something and running to something. Uh, Often people come to me, hey, I've got a job opportunity, and I just want to get out of where I am. And often if you're running from something, you find the same problems where you end up. When you run to something, it's because you know that it's something that God's called you to. You see the difference on that? Yes? Need some interaction today. Come on. Yes? All right. Awesome. Awesome. And so we're going to learn about people who learn what it is to run to what God has called them to. And we're going to also learn about the responses of those who are running from something. And uh, we had the opportunity to do all of that. First, I want to give you a bit of a, a review and an understanding on the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So get ready. A lot of notes. Here we go. Uh, I will go ahead and tell you that you've got this in front of you. What you will see is you're going to see an outline of the book of Exodus, but you're also going to see um, uh, this biblical, biblical progression of movement on one side as well. And part of that is Genesis. Genesis is broken up primarily into two different uh, areas you've got Genesis chapter 1 through 11, and then you have Genesis chapter 12 through 50. Genesis chapter 1 through 11, a simple way to think about Genesis 1 through 11 is God and his creation and new beginnings. You also have things like um, creation, you have the fall, you have sin entering the picture, you have the flood. You have these different components, but it's new beginnings with a new creation, you have a, um, a you have new covenants, you have a new family, you have all of these new beginnings that are taking place, and you also have a very quick quickly established pattern of of people being um, I would say, hostile toward God. Genesis chapter twelve through fifty, what we have. Um, In Genesis chapter 12 through 50 is really a a family, Abram's family, and how God is going to redeem others even in the midst of a broken and a hard and a sinful world. So we're going to be able to to see that also. Um, Sadly, um, sin entered the picture very quickly, we know, in the garden, and it was a repeated pattern over and over and over again. Even in what we find in Genesis chapter 11 that is important for us is you have something called the Tower of Babel. The, the nations were starting to prosper, um, and as they started to prosper, they wanted to do more and more for themselves. They wanted more and more glory for themselves. By the way, that's been happening throughout every generation since the beginning of time. Every great, every great society, somewhat a very general way of thinking about it, begins with two primary understandings. A need for God because they're hurting, but also a desire to further self. And so as uh, society begins to call out to God and he begins to answer prayers, they typically begin to advance and do better for self. But as they begin to do better for self, they have less of a need for God, they think. And so then they step away from God, and then they want to receive more glory for self and more of their own desires. Welcome to the United States of America, right? It's over. There's no surprise what's happening. Because we see it from the beginning of time. And we saw, even in Genesis, you see it repeated over and over. And you see it in Exodus, and you see it more and more and more. And so they're wanting, they, they discovered these things called bricks that they can make, right? And they started building all these cool things, and they started building this tower. And they're like, we're going to lift it up to the heavens and look at what we're going to do. And they wanted everything, they wanted to make a name for themselves rather than giving glory to God. That often happens, by the way. We get distracted by wanting to make a name for ourselves rather than giving glory to God. And so wanting to make a name for themselves, they wanted to build this city and a tower in order to do so. So what God did is said, no, I'm going to confuse your language. I'm going to scatter you all over the earth. So you have this mass dispersion that's taking place. Because he says, no, it's not about your glory. It's about my glory. God then chooses one person by the name of Abram whose lineage ends up leading to the formation of the Hebrews, to Israel. That's what he ends up leading to. Um, And through that nation, God would resolve to bless all the families of the earth. And that's when that family is being established. It tells us that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. There's that break. Genesis 1 through 11, verse 12 through 50. And so we're going, we end up learning a lot about Abram and all that he did. Um, to fast forward a lot, because it is a study on Exodus, not Genesis, um, I'll tell you that um, Genesis really is concluding with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading his family to Egypt. Um, now you have Abraham, and then you have Isaac, and then um, his son, Jacob. Jacob had many sons. His 11th son was another one that you'll know the name of by the name of Joseph. Okay, so here what we see happening is Jacob's, uh, he, he takes roughly 70 people to Egypt over the course. There's about 400 years between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. And in the midst of that, and by the way, I want to make sure you know this. We don't know truly how long they were in captivity. We know how long they lived there, the people of God. We don't know exactly how long they were in captivity. They didn't start in captivity. So I want to, sometimes that's confusing for people. Let me go ahead and throw this out as well, that the, the, the people of God didn't build the pyramids. That was probably a 1,000 years prior. Like, we, we, we confuse these things, and we just start lumping everything together. They did build a lot for Pharaoh and for, the, for Egypt, um, but they didn't do that. Um, but here, what we find is Jacob goes with about 70 people. And over the course of about 350 to 400 years, they multiplied to, we know in the Bible, over 600,000 men. So we think roughly 2 million people in 400 years. They're like rabbits. <laughs> like, they're, they're from West Michigan. Like, they're all, man, that's some multiplication. Right? And I'm like, Wow. But God says he's going to bless, and so that's what he ends up doing. And he says, I'm going to use your lineage, Abram. And he makes a covenant with Abraham and says, this is what I'm going to end up doing. Also, in this same journey, we find a guy by the name, with as I mentioned before, Joseph, Jacob's 11th son, um, Maybe you already know the story here. I'm not going to get into it because it's in Genesis. But Genesis uh, tells us the story of Joseph where uh, his brothers don't like him very much at all because he tells them a dream about how he's going to rule. They're like, no, you're not. They throw him in a pit, end up selling him into slavery. He is then purchased. He ends up serving Potiphar. um, And over the course of time, Potiphar trusted him more and more. He rose up even in that area. But Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Joseph said, no. But then Potiphar's wife accused him of it anyway, and so then he's thrown into prison in Egypt. And then, by interpreting a dream, he raises uh, he, he is lifted up to become second in charge in Egypt because God had promised this. Listen, the world can do nothing to keep God from fulfilling a promise. It's remarkable. And we see this unfolding so that we by the end of it, what we uh, understand, the last verse of the last chapter of a book that's all about new beginnings and all about creation ends with death. Last verse, last chapter. And it tells us in that very thing, it says, So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now in Egypt. Exodus chapter 1 verse 6 is going to reference that. But you have hundreds of years that's happening between Genesis and Exodus. The actual Exodus book is written over the course. It's summarizing about a 40-year period. About a 40-year period for us there. And... As we're looking at the book of Exodus, you will see here on one of the resources, we're going to give you a few different resources throughout this series. Again, it's a resource that I, this is the kind of material I expect my kids to know when they leave my house. So we're going to be giving you those types of resources um, that we are developing to make sure that you can have at least a clear understanding of the bigger picture of what God is doing. Um, book of Exodus primarily is 40 chapters. I would say it's broken up into two. I actually, the majority of scholars say two different sections, chapters 1 through 18 and the 19 through 40. I think it's primarily four uh, different sections. Um, what we have in Exodus chapter 1 through 18 is important because um, you see the deliverance of the people of God. We all need deliverance. We all need deliverance. You're going to see the deliverance of God and how all of that unfolded, and then you're going to enter into some really uh, Mount Sinai and covenants with God, um, even in the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter twenty. In Exodus chapter twenty, um, have I covered enough material yet? I, I feel like like right now inside, I feel like I'm a little hamster on a wheel. I'm just running. Um, so I don't know if we'll make it through the end of the chapter, but we'll do our very best as we keep pressing forward here. Um, the exodus really means the exodus. It's the exit of the people of God out of Egypt. Uh, but the very first chapter, the very first verse in Exodus, chapter 1, as we turn over to that, it says, these are the names of. And that's another partial meaning for it, that these are the names of the people who came to Egypt, the people of God. It calls them out. It references, as mentioned earlier, about Joseph. So it gives a little bit of a recap, a little bit of a summary. And then it says, and then Joseph died. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. We know that the book of Exodus itself, as it's echoed throughout the Bible, the Jews regard it as a defining point of history for them. And Christians, if you're a believer in Christ, you very clearly see how Exodus is pointing forward to the redemption and the deliverance that Jesus offers for us. It's a very clear picture for us. So that's why I say we all need deliverance. You're going to see people's response to God based on their understanding of need of deliverance. And you're no different. We are no different together. The way we often respond to God in something is determined by our understanding of a need of deliverance from something. And the the less you think you have need of deliverance, the more or, or the less respect that you then give to that very person who gave deliverance, the less of a need you think that you have to listen and to obey the promptings of God because you don't really think he did all that much for you. And so you see mistake after mistake after mistake that's being made, primarily because people forgot their need of a savior. We all are in need of a savior. And so here, very quick, quickly, we see just a reminder, to, hey, now Joseph died, all his brothers in that generation, but very quickly they forgot all that God had already done. Can we please begin to learn from those who have gone before? And I get it. I, I tell people in leadership all the time, I'm like, "Listen, a lesson told is learned for a day, a lesson learned is for a lifetime. Right? If you tell me something, I'm like, oh, yeah, and by the next day I'm making the same mistake. And sometimes it takes us having to learn it. I am so glad that we're also going to see a God who is remarkably patient. Anybody else out there grateful for a patient God? Right? Because, like, second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, and he is so patient with us. We're going to see that throughout the book of Exodus Throughout the book, it tells us in the Old Testament over and over. You, you read the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So this deliverance, they keep referring to prophet after prophet after prophet. Even in the Old Testament, it speaks of it. I mean, in the New Testament. And so we learn of the importance of that deliverance and what we're needing to understand with it. But to, I'm praying that throughout this series, you will learn of your need for a deliverance. I'm praying that you will know that God has delivered you out of sin and hatred and despair and selfishness in order for us to be redeemed for what is our pleasure of then being ruled by a magnificent God. I am ruled by God and proud to be. And that's what we see a bunch of people who are redeemed in order to be ruled by him. I know that's probably not a popular thought or process or idea in today's world. I'm not ruled by anybody. But we have been redeemed, bought with a price to be ruled by a wonderful God. Every one of us, this is part of my prayer as well, every one of us needs to have an exodus, this understanding of a need of deliverance. From the bondage of sin by God's grace. So we just did the outpost series the last six weeks, wanting you to be able to speak to that deliverance that you've encountered, that transformation that you know in Christ Jesus. We've all been born, we will all die, but we also, just as Nicodemus did in John chapter three, we need to have a second birth. to be born again in Christ, delivered from our sin. So here we are jumping into a book that was literally occurred just over probably 3,500 years ago. With the same themes relevant today. The same things relevant today. Paul even in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just something for you to write down. Don't need to turn there. Paul referenced, he warned against idolatry. In order to do that, he went back to Moses and all that happened in Exodus, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter ten, he, he's talking about this, and I want you to be—I um, don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were all under the cloud that passed through the sea, were, that that, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and ate the same spiritual food. He keeps talking about this, and he says, um, 1 Corinthians ten six. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. A greater desire for anything in life other than God is evil. Why? Because that's called idolatry. Idolatry is evil. So, one of those Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. And so we want to be able to learn from these very things. Um, As we're looking at this, um, let's just go ahead and try our best to walk through chapter one. Um, One of the ways that I also process um, the entire chapter is um, people, prosperity, and a big problem. Exodus chapter one, it speaks first about the people, it speaks about their prosperity. They continue to grow and to multiply. But then you have a big problem that comes on the scene. And that's a new Pharaoh who is not like previous Pharaohs, who is fearful of a lot of things. And we're going to better speak about that. But these are three. This is a simple way of thinking about chapter 1 as we walk through this. In uh, verse 7, if you would read along with me in verse 7, it says, But the people of Israel were fruitful. And increased greatly. I already told you 70 to a couple million in 400 years. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So that the land was filled with them. And there arose in verse 8 a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He had forgotten those stories. He had forgotten all that God had already done before. And he said to his people, behold the people of Israel are too many. Too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us, and they can escape the land. So he starts to live. Here's a new leader who lived in fear. It doesn't tell us of anything that the people of God, the Israelites, had already done against him that was, that was poor. In fact, the reason he didn't want to lose them primarily is because when you have that many people around, you don't think that impacts your economy? You don't think that that helps you financially, and in other ways, it it helps tremendously. But he's starting to grow fearful, and and it's one of the themes that we see here, continual. um, In order to be delivered, we need to know what we fear. What do you fear? Because fear has this way. uh, There's a lot of us who fear certain things, and we often, we're going to learn from the Pharaoh how he responded to fear. The very first way that the Pharaoh responds to fear is he wants to control the people. We do no different. When we're fearful of something, we often want to control. A lot of people, you may uh, be scared of, 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 your own, of losing your own health. And so as a result, there's a lot of things that you don't do because you want to make sure you stay safe. Oh, it just hit me. I wish we would pray for God's will more than we do safety and comfort. Have you ever noticed that? How we pray for safety and comfort and prosperity far more than God's will. Listen, Scripture is clear. I, did you know that sometimes I actually pray for persecution? Not for self, but for the church, because Scripture is clear what happens in the midst of persecution. What happens to the church, it grows. So then it's just a matter for me of what's more important to me. The kingdom of God growing, which I know is for eternity, or a temporary life here on earth so that I can be comfortable. Our job, our responsibilities are not to be comfortable and safe, it's to be surrendered to a God who has delivered us so that we are now ruled over Him for God's glory and God's purpose. That's why we exist. But here's a new leader who's like he's so fearful, his first response and some of you may fear finances and so you want to control your finances this is how we got to do it because what if I can't retire in time And you know I know Bible the Bible says nothing about retirement, but by golly, I have to retire at this certain age and do nothing after that and, and, and honestly we need more 55 to 75 year olds passionate about the kingdom than ever before. You've got the time, often you have the resources, let's dance together, okay, let's do that. Are you in, anybody in that age range? Because, come on, anybody in that age range? Okay, great, there's four of us, I'll take four of you, God only needs, come on. bunch of heathens, the rest of you, it's okay, God can deliver you two one day. So here's a guy who's so fearful, he wants to control everything. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to control everything around him. And so he's like, oh, no, here are all these people. We've already learned um, very clearly that God, no matter what, is going to keep his promises. So if God has made a promise, just stop getting in the way of it. God keeps his promises. But let me go back real quick. It tells us that the people multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So that the land was filled. God kept his promise from Genesis chapter 15, friends. Gen- Genesis chapter 15, I have no clue why I scheduled an entire chapter today. Um, Genesis chapter 15. Listen to this. Very, very, just write it down on your sheet of paper there. It says, he, he brought Abram outside. This is when God is making a covenant with Abram. You've got some of the covenants on here that are really important to me. Um, God's making a promise uh, or a covenant with Abram. He says, He brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. And so he believed the Lord and he counted it as righteousness. And then later on, verse 13, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, that means without doubt. <laughs> this is phenomenal. This, again, Genesis 15, 13, but about 16. you got to go back and read this. okay? It says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners, that means visitors, in a land that is not theirs, and you will, they will be servants there for 400 years why do we question the majesty of God God is going to keep his promises no matter what now he's not required to keep his promises the way you want him to keep his promises Right? Sometimes we struggle with God, and you're going to see a people in Exodus that struggle with God because God didn't do things the way they wanted him to do them. Right? We have fear, and so we're sometimes like Pharaoh, and we have fear. And so as a result of having fear, we want to control everything. But God doesn't have to keep a promise in the manner you desire in the way that you desire for it to be fulfilled. God is God, you are not. But we know that there's this new king who is coming up over Egypt. He doesn't like all of these people. He says, Behold, the people of Israel are way too many for us. Exodus chapter 1, verse 9. They're too mighty for us, so let's deal shrewdly with them. He wants to control, deal shrewdly with them so that they don't continue to multiply. He says if war breaks out, they may join enemies. We don't want that to happen. And so verse 11 tells us very clearly on the passage. Verse 11 says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them. This is him controlling So we're going to control all of it. We're going to set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Surely, that'll get things under control. But God made a promise. And no matter what you do, God will always fulfill his promises. And so it says, yeah, they were more oppressed. Verse 12, it tells us, The people were more oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. The presence of difficulty doesn't mean the lack of God's presence. The presence of difficulty does not mean the lack of God's presence. And too many of us, when things are difficult, when things are hard, we go, oh, well, then God's not with me. No, that's often when God is wanting to use you the most. And the oppression from a leader who is fear-based could not remove the presence of God from the people of God. Is this hitting anybody else? Because right now I'm convicted. Stop assuming that God is not with you simply because things are difficult. Our God has never broken a promise. Amen? Amen? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They feared the wrong thing. They feared the wrong thing. They feared the wrong thing. It led to dread. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and brick and in all kinds of work, in the field and all of their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves, as slaves. When we look at this passage, we know that God was blessing even in the midst of oppression, even in the midst of hardship. Often I think one of the reasons, I always assume that one of the reasons that God sometimes blesses in the midst of hardship because that's when you can't claim it for your own victory. right? I know that had to be God because there is no way we did that. There's no way I did that. That was God. So here's a ruler who is fear-based. He wanted to control everything. That wasn't working out, so he tried a new tactic. Still Exodus chapter 1. This is what we see. It says, In all of the work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Verse 14 and then verse 15. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, if you would follow with me. It says, Then the God of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives. So this is what's taking place. God went to the midwives of the Hebrews. Now, midwives typically are people who are barren. They could not have children or families of their own. That's how it worked. So he goes to them, knowing that he's in charge, and he goes to a couple specifically. He says, go to all the Hebrew midwives, and every single time you're there and there is a boy, a male that is present, that is being born, kill him. It's not the only time that we see this very thing happening. We're going to be able to find out something very similar in Exodus chapter 4. We're also going to see something again very important in the last plague, Exodus chapter 12. But what we find here is this man who is just rooted. I mean, he's just got fear dripping off of him. He wants to control everything. And then because he can't control everything, he's going to go to some other measures. And he tells these midwives, make sure you kill the boy. The Pharaoh ends up redefining good and evil based on his own interest. Now, this is big. To the extent that it was okay to murder innocent boys, 93% of people who have abortions do so basically because it's not convenient for them. Your self-interest cannot redefine the will of God. Now, I will tell you, if that's been you in the past, God can redeem anyone at any time. God can free you from that. That's how beautiful and awesome our God is. But know this, the Pharaoh's own self-interest is what created this desire to redefine good and evil. His own self, like, oh no, I've got fear in my life. So he started rewriting what the will of God is. How how have you done that in your own life? Have Have you... redefine good, <laughs> good and evil, because of your self-interest, allowing that to be justified so you, you, don't, you don't have to obey the word of God. Right? We do that with, that's why there's so much premarital sex today. That's why like you got people living together left and right. Well, it saves us money. We don't have the money to pay the rent. And, you know, just keep justifying. You know that's what you're doing, though. Right? And we got it with, oh, I'm listen, I know that I've got these clients on the side, and I have a non-compete, but they're only about six, seven clients. They're all for about $500, so it's like four or five grand a year. It's not that much. It's no big deal. I don't even have to report it on taxes because every one's less than $600. And so, listen, it's no big deal. And they don't pay me enough anyway. That's what we do, right? And we start allowing our own self-interest to, to redefine good and evil. And that's what the Pharaoh that was what Pharaoh was doing. He allowed his own self-interest to start redefining the will of God. Again, welcome to our world today. And we just see it happening over and over and over again. It's a great conversation to even have with friends and a small group is to say, hey, how have we all allowed our own self-interest to sometimes redefine the will of God? Continues on here. And it's remarkable to see because what we find is... The midwives being instructed to kill all the boys. And then verse 17 is something. Um, I'm going to ask that you play a game with me. I'm going to ask that you substitute. It says, but the midwives. That's how it begins. What, I, what I'm going to ask that you do is I'm going to ask that you substitute the word midwives and put your name in there. So instead of when I say, but the midwives, you're going to say, um, but John. Or but Greg, or but Melissa, or but Allison, or but Jane, or but Pete, or whatever your name is, okay? You're good? You got it? Instructions clear enough? Good. First success right there. Here it is, verse 17. But the midwives feared God and do not, did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. But Lee would not do. He feared the Lord, so would not do. But Bob feared the Lord. But Ty feared the Lord. But Michelle feared the Lord. But Allison feared the Lord. And so would not do anything. This is disobeying the most powerful person around. Would not do anything that would contradict the will of God. Is that true of you? I mean, just sit in that. I mean, there's different types of fear. I'm going to talk about biblical fear in a moment. But here's a Pharaoh who who had had a fear based on what he may lose rather than what he might gain, to be honest with you. And some of us fear other things other than God. And it tells us, verse 17, but the midwives, they feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. And so here's the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, why have you done this? You let the male children live. The midwives said to to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. (laughs) Good Dutch people. There's been too much made of the fact that they're like, oh, well, these people lie. How could they lie and then say that they fear the Lord? Um, here's what was taking place. It's very, very simple. Um, when a law of man tries to supersede the law of God, we must adhere to the law of God. Uh, this last fall, I think it was early October, I was preaching about politics. Uh, in a series called Speak, if you want to go back and listen to that, because uh, we do need to respect the law of the land. We need to respect those officials, whether you voted for them or not, that are being put in front of you, whether you respect them or not. Because honestly, a lot of times I feel like I'm voting for someone who I may not respect. <laughs> Am I alone? Okay, you know, I shouldn't go there. Okay, um, so as a result of that, but listen, here's the kicker. We need to respect them. We need to honor that. But when the law of man tries to supersede the law of God, we must always be obedient to the law of God. And you know, I so appreciate what it says here about these, these midwives. Again, these are midwives. And this is even how God blesses. These midwives, are, I already told you, they're typically, they're the people who can't have families. They can't, they're barren. They, they, they can't do all this. But then this is what it says. So God dealt with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. You can't mess with my God, please. That's so good. It's remarkable to see how God is using even that, how God is working. Even in the midst of oppression, God is still working. Even in the midst of of people trying to deny God, in the midst of them trying to take take supremacy over God, God is still working. God is faithful. God will not abandon. We simply need to fear God, and sometimes we have the wrong understanding of fear. We already know that they feared God in a way it, it says before that these people, they feared God in such an intense way that it says that the Egyptians were in dread of the people of God. Like they, like sometimes that's what we think fear is, but the biblical understanding of fear is not what we have made it today. So I want to, spe- I want to end with speaking about this very quickly as we try to conclude with some of this. Um, in the Old Testament, it, fear of the Lord isn't about dreading God and Him punishing us. Can I make sure that we understand this, that we hear this? Right, even, um, even the Gentiles, it tells us, um, Acts chapter nine, it, it talks about the, the, the church growing and all these things and it says, because they feared God. It was a, it was a healthy thing. It says that they grew because of their fear of the Lord. That they were built up, it says they were built up in, their, in, in the fear of the Lord. So it's not, fear Fear isn't a matter of dread. And in Hebrew, really the words that would signify the same are, are reverence. It's to have so much, it's, um, Jeremiah speaks to it. Um, the way that Jeremiah would speak to the fear of the Lord is jaw-dropping All. Like you're like, wow. I remember before I talked about do you know your need of deliverance? Y'all remember that, right? Just please say yes. Make me feel good. Please say yes. Your understanding of deliverance is huge. Because when you know, the more the understanding you have of your need for deliverance from sin, from hostility, from brokenness, the more jaw-dropping awe you have toward God when you go, he saved me from all of it. Wow! If we could just have a little bit more awe of God and less awe of self, So here are some people, these midwives knew what it was to fear the Lord because like, wow, even if they were barren, they were oppressed, they were afflicted. Now all of a sudden the leader is saying, do this, but God has said, no, you don't do that. And yet they're still willing to be obedient because even in the midst of difficulty, they knew the majesty of their God. And we say, Wow. Fear of the Lord is a jaw dropping awe of why he's done so much for me. Pahad is another Hebrew word that communicates that very thing of this astonishment of what God is able to do. Throughout the Old Testament, the rabbis, the prophets defined fear as all and reverence for God. And it was so great that not being obedient to him, not being ruled by him, that's just called being dumb. Truly, if you know your need of deliverance and you understand what God has done for you, to not want to crawl on your hands and knees before the Almighty and say, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours, is stupid. Because without that deliverance, you have nothing. You're following me on this, yes? You know I will say it again. Because we need to know that we have been delivered from every sin, from all hatred, from all hostility. For eternity we have a majestic God. And I am in awe over the majesty, the supremacy, and the fulfillment of what God has done throughout the ages. And he will not abandon. He will not forsake. He will keep his promises. That's our God. I am in awe of him. And it is my pleasure to be ruled by him. It is my joy. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 tells us that the beginning of all wisdom, right? That's biblical fear. So biblical fear is the beginning of all wisdom. Do you have a biblical healthy fear of like, wow, look at what God has done for me. Going, I'm a midwife, bear nothing. He's given me family. Wow. I would define biblical fear as overwhelming awe, overwhelming awe in who God is that requires a response of reverence and obedience, a whole bunch of wows, wow, 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 that God loves me, <laughs> take that, Satan, my God loves me. question I never thought I would ask will you step into biblical fear with me complete astonishment over a mighty God Pharaoh wouldn't do it he feared the wrong things I will fear my God I say we fear God together and take some new ground for his kingdom, take some new territory for his kingdom. There's lots of dirt out there. Let's go pick it up and give it to God. Amen. Lord, I come before you in the name of Christ, and I give you thanks for all that you have done. We worship you. We call out to you. You have delivered. And we're going to see it throughout the next couple of months of how you continually deliver. We get to celebrate it in your deliverance of what you did through your son, Jesus Christ. At Easter, you are a deliverer, and you are our ruler. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord. Amen.